Welcome to the Vanguard Trilex Podcast, where our goal is to help you to walk in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You're about to hear a sermon from one of our weekend services in Monument, Colorado. We pray that your faith is provoked, your mind is renewed, and your heart is awakened as you engage the Word of God. Stay tuned after the sermon for ways you can stay connected with us. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, welcome everybody. We're glad you're here. I want to start today. We're in our Creed series where we're preaching through the sending, which is our local liturgy that we that we talk that we say together at the end of every service. And today to start, would you welcome Mackenzie Rudder? She's gonna read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Give it up for her. Come on. Yeah. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power in the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in, the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he lo- with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By God, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in, G- in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works, so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which in God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thank you. Thank you, Mackenzie. A couple of weeks ago, I had lunch with a friend, and we were talking about, you know, what friends talk about. We we're talking about our family, and we we're talking about sports. And then we started talking about our dads. And that's when the conversation got heavy. You ever have a conversation at lunch that went from real kind of light to real heavy, real deep, real quick? It was one of those. And we were talking about it, and he said to me this. He said, you know, when I was growing up, my dad made us go to church. Anybody say that that was your reality, that your parents made you go to church as a kid? Anybody here? Okay. Justice, yeah, yeah, that's right. You're correct, sir. Uh, I have made you go to church. Um, um, that's right, for 17 years. So, so we were talking about it, and he said, you know, and my dad wasn't even a Christian. He wasn't even a believer. But he decided that he wanted his family, and he wanted to give his kids something that he didn't have. He wanted his kids to go to church. And then he went on to say, my friend, he said, you know, um, my whole life, I've never felt pursued by God. I've never felt pursued by my dad, and I've really never felt pursued by anyone. And I said, hey, bro, I called you and said, do you want to have lunch with me? What are you talking about? Like, you've been pursued. I asked you to come to Chick-fil-A and have lunch with me, right? He said, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. But it made me think about this word that we say, this phrase that we say every week. We say this in the sending. We say, I am chosen, forgiven, redeemed, and restored. We say it every week. And I don't know what you think about when, when, we, when you say those words every week. I am chosen. There's a way to say that that's really haughty, right? There's a way to say that that's really like, I'm important, I'm chosen. And there's a way to say that that's really humble. 
right? And so when you say, I am chosen, the question is, what are you thinking about? What are you feeling? What are you believing about yourself? Uh, When we use a word like chosen, we have to wrestle with the fact that it's incendiary. Because to the outside world, if you were to say, I am chosen by God, and they're not a Christian, does that mean that they're not chosen? Does that mean that God has decided duck, duck, goose, right? That God's up there in heaven deciding, you're with me, you're not. You're good, you're bad. Is that what it is? When we say the word chosen, we have to really be careful about what we mean when we say it. So that's why we're preaching through it. Because if some people are chosen, then doesn't it mean that others aren't? This is an age-old debate. In fact, in the 1500s, this debate was given a name. It was the debate between Arminians and Calvinists. Now, listen, I'm not going to get deep into a debate about who's right and who's wrong because we could be here for hours, weeks, arguing this. In fact, it took these guys 50 years to figure out how different they were. Um, John Calvin was born in 1509. He lived till 1564. And then Arminius came after him. I don't really know if you say Jacobus, uh, Jacobus. I don't know. We'll just call him Jake for now. Okay, so Jake Arminian. 1560 to 1609, right? Now, I'm going to give you super, like, ethereal, up-here ideology about Arminianism and Calvinism, because I think it's important that you realize that this debate that we're talking about has been raging for hundreds and hundreds of years, okay? And I'm not going to get deep into the weeds, but I just want you to see the tenets of what they believe. Arminians would say that man has free will, okay? That man has the choice to decide everything in his life. They would say that man chooses God. That in fact, it's man who has the choice to say, yes, I choose you, God. I have the power. Uh, They would say that God allows all things that happen to happen, okay? They would say that man, human beings can resist or reject the Holy Spirit and grace for that matter. And that salvation can be both acquired and lost. Now, this is... This is really interesting, really fascinating, and I don't know if you resonate with any of that, but let me show you what Calvinists believe so you can see the other polar opposite. Calvinists believe that God is fully sovereign. What does sovereign mean? It means he's in control. He's in power. Uh, They believe that God chooses man, that in fact man is not the person who chooses God, but God chooses man. They would say that God's will is ever unfolding and that all things that happen happen in order to bring about his plan. They would say that the Holy Spirit is irresistible. He's irresistible, and so is grace. And they would say that true salvation is proven by a life lived following Jesus. So if you were to tell a Calvinist, I'm saved, they'll say, we'll see. We'll see. Let's see how you live your life, right? That's the way it works. Now, it's kind of interesting because for the Calvinist, God is determining and enacting every good and evil act on the earth in order to create an eventual masterpiece, that will make it all make sense in the end. You ever heard someone say, make it make sense? God, just make it make sense. Calvinists believe one day God will. Arminians believe that God is kind of a passenger. He's wielding limited control. He has decided he has all power, all authority, and he's decided to withhold some of it to allow us to have control over the actions and inactions of mankind, generously allowing mankind to reveal its true nature in an effort to magnify the worth of God in the end. Is this heavy enough? What do you think? This is pretty heavy, right? 
So you see the opposites here? On one side, God is doing everything. He's in charge of everything. Everything that happens is because God willed it to happen. On this side, God's looking down going, y'all need to figure this stuff out, right? And so these two opposites are totally in contrast with one another. So when bad things happen, you get to either blame God, right? You can say, okay, well, everything that happened is God's fault, or you can blame mankind. I gotta say, to me... I would rather personally blame mankind for the evil of the world because I don't want to blame it on God. I don't want to blame God for evil. But if God is sovereign, then I have to say, well, all good and bad eventually is good because God is the one that determines that. Does that make sense? But this is what I want to tell you, okay? Whether you believe one or the other, okay? And Christians across the planet believe one or the other. There are people that we're going to see in heaven that are fully convinced that Arminianism is the way to understand the Bible. They're gonna be with us in heaven. And there are people that are fully convinced that John Calvin was right and everybody else was wrong. They're gonna be with us in heaven because both of them are putting their trust and their faith in Jesus. You with me? So I don't want you to go cross-eyed and like freak out and go, oh Lord, I thought I had Jesus figured out, but now I got a lot of thinking to do. No, listen, what I'm telling you is that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And yes, the colors are purple and gold on purpose, okay? I went to LSU. I'm in charge of the keynote. They get to be purple and gold, okay? We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We are not saved by works through knowledge in biblical study. How many of you know that you can know everything about the Bible and not know Jesus? Do you know that? You can know all kinds of biblical facts. You can be the guy that wins every trivia contest, and never know Jesus. So it's not about biblical knowledge. That's important. Learn in all things. Get understanding. Learn. But your faith is in Jesus, not in your knowledge about the Bible. You with me? Amen? Okay, so this is the only way that I personally have been able to make sense of this mystery. As I think about these two contrasts, these two polarized extremes in, in the Christendom, the only way I make sense of it is that before one day was, God knew them all to be right? God lives on all points of time. He is omni, uh, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. Omnipotent means he knows everything. Omniscient means he sees and understands everything. Omnipresent means he's present in all things, okay? So the way this makes sense to me is God is present with us in this moment. He's here right now in this room where two or three are gathered in his name. He's here. Praise God. He's with us. Amen? He was with us 20 minutes ago, when we were singing his praise, praise the king eternal. He was here with us 20 minutes ago, right? And in 20 minutes at the end of this sermon, if it's only 20 minutes, uh, he'll be with us, right? He'll be with us. God is present in every moment. And so to him, from his perspective, he knows every day before they ever happen. He understands, he sees it all. That is good because when God tells us to do something, we can know that it's working towards his good. Amen. We can know that he knows best, and so we'd better obey whatever he asks of us. Ephesians 2 that we just read said this, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand. So God knows what's coming, and he knows what's ahead of us, that we should walk in them. So here's a question. How can a good God allow such evil to exist in our world? Isn't that a good question? How can a good God allow such evil? I don't know about you, but Friday, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, 
I sat there in my house watching CNN and watching the rhetoric on both sides, watching people who believe my body, my choice, that's their belief system, watching them just evoke anger and frustration that someone would not, that someone would take away their choice, right? And then I watch Christians celebrate, and I think, listen, what, no matter where you live on the spectrum, what happened Friday was awesome for the kingdom of God and awesome for God's people because I believe that God values life. Do you? Right? God values life, all life, unborn life, pregnant life. I think about Mary over there. She's, what, four months pregnant? Right? Is that right? Seven? When are you going to start showing? Come on, lady. That's too small. Let's get after this. Feed this woman, Chuck. <laughs> But I, th- I think about Mary and the little life, little Ficretia that's being uh, born. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's an inside joke. Ficretia don't play that, okay? No, but I think, about, I think about that little life that's, that's coming to be, the, her, the personality that's, that's already existing. I think about when Judah was in the womb and he was punching all the time. Like for nine months, he was never still. Guess what? If you know Judah, he's never still, right? And then justice was just chilling the whole time. Guess what? If you see justice, still chilling, right? So I think about life and I think about the value of that. And for 50 years, our country has lived under the cloud of abortion being um, uh, endorsed, condoned, endowed by our government, that the constitution would say, yes, this is good. I think it's amazing that today in America, our country would say, no longer will we stand for this. No longer will our our constitution allow for this. That's beautiful. Now, check it out. You guys don't have to go uh, strutting, right? We don't have to go get in, in people's face and tell them, we win, you lose, right? You're wrong, we're right. We don't have to be those kinds of people. Man, when I watch the news and I see Christians bragging or strutting or celebrating in the face of someone else, it breaks my heart. I don't think that's who Jesus was. And I don't think that's who we're supposed to be. So in this moment, guys, if our mission as chosen people of God is to go and share the love of Jesus Christ, be careful not to be judgy. Be careful not to wag your finger at people. Be careful not to look down your nose at anyone. Be careful to show love in this season. Amen? How can a good God allow such evil to exist? Here's how. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. What does that mean? It means that if it's not good yet, then he's not finished yet. So right now you're in a season of your life and you say, this is the worst. This is terrible. I'm hurting. God, where are you? And God says, listen, I'm working on it. I'm at work. I'm busy. I know it's not good yet. That's because I'm not done yet. Amen? So we see God clearer through the rear view. I don't know if you've realized this in your life, but when you look back on your life, it's easier to see the footsteps, right? It's easier to see when there's only two sets of footprints in the sand, right? You know, that old cheesy thing. I look back and there was two footprints. Why? Because Jesus was carrying me. We look back on our life and we can see it so much clearer than when we look ahead. When we look ahead, we're like, oh, how is this going to work? And that lines up with the Bible. The Bible says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What does that mean? It means you only get to see the next step, right? If you're in the word, if you're connected to the Lord, then you get to see the next step and you go, is that, is that a safe step? Okay, what's the next step after that? That's as far as you can see. 
That's how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to rely upon him. Here's another question. Why did bad things happen to good people? Anybody ever ask you this question? Why did bad things happen to good people? How come nobody ever answers it like this? Maybe I'm the only one that thinks this, but there are no good people. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've realized this. The message of the Bible is that we're all dead people. Before we meet Jesus, we're, we're not good people. We're dead. We're sinful. We're insatiably selfish. We're unteachably self-centered. The first word that your child, if you've had a kid, learned on their own was mine. You didn't, you didn't teach them that. You didn't teach them mine, right? They found that in themselves. We are naturally, insatiably self-centered. That's who we are as people. So why do bad things happen to good people? They don't. They happen to dead people. They happen to sinful people. The Bible calls people spiritually dead before they meet Jesus. It was in the passage we read. And you were dead in, the tras- in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, everybody say all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God. That's another one. Everybody say, but God but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. So when we say, I am chosen, we are saying, I once was dead and now I'm alive. I once was lost and now I'm found. It's not haughty. It's not arrogant. It's not, hey, look at me, I'm really special. It's, wow, I'm chosen. I'm chosen. Justice and I went to the NFL draft a couple years ago. Anybody ever watched the NFL draft on TV? Doesn't it crack you up when you see these like 350 pound linebackers like bust into tears when their name gets called, right? I found this video and I just love it. Three stories of three NFL players who who get their name called. They get chosen. Watch this. DK. Yes, sir. Hey, it's John Schneider with the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, bud? Yeah. You doing all right? Yes, sir. Hey, yes, man, get fired up. We're going to make you a Seahawk right here, okay? You all right, bud? All right, man, congratulations. I get chills every time. It seems like, like a matter of like five seconds. Yes, sir, thank you. DK! <laughs> Hey, DK, this is Coach Pete Carroll. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. <laughs> okay, we'll both cry together then, all right? Why y'all wait this long, man? When I finally heard those words, it's like when everything went away and I got super excited. He's had a little bit more dog in him, but this guy can cover. This guy gets in your face. Browns are about to make their first choice. Greetings, Mr. Dorsey, General Manager, Cleveland Browns. How you doing? Doing great. Man, uh, I know it's been a long wait for you, two days there, but uh, we look forward to you. I think you're uh, you're an unbelievable talent. I can't wait to get you up here and uh, meet you. So. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, no. oh, no. 
Congratulations. We're getting ready to turn this tag in. love that moment. Uh, There are 1.093 million football players, high school football players in America every year. Do you know that? Every year, over a million kids play high school football. Only 6.5% of those high school players, 71,000 or so, sorry, Justice, I don't think you're going to be in that number, are going to play in college, right? They're going to play college football. So think about that. 1.9 million all the way down to 71,000. The drop-off from college to the pros is even more dramatic. Only 1.2% of college-level players will get drafted to the NFL. Why do I tell you that? Because it's a big deal when your name gets called, right? It's a big deal when you've worked really hard your whole life and your name gets called. I play basketball on Thursdays with a bunch of old white guys, and uh, we're terrible like all of us, but we really think we're something special until a real athlete walks in the gym. I don't know if you ever had this experience. Like if Bill Lighty walked in the gym, it's a, that's a real athlete. Come on, Bill. He played college basketball. No, but like if a guy walks in the gym and he's 6'5", and he's, he's got long arms, and he just glides up and down the court, and we're just like, okay, I'm coming. I'm going to be open, you know? Like there's such a difference when you see like a naturally gifted athlete. Like Ruben, you're a naturally gifted athlete on the, on the, on the skates, right? Like when you're just gliding out there, it'd be different if you saw me trying to make my way up and down the, the rink, right? It's just such a difference. And even those guys who are born with natural gifts and natural skills have had to work really, really hard. You know how many incredible athletes never get their name called in the NFL? You know how many naturally gifted, coordinated athletes never get their name called in the NFL, in the NBA? Now, getting chosen is a big deal, but can you imagine if salvation was the same way? What if you had to work for it? What if you had to be naturally spiritual? What if you had to be naturally gifted at Christianity in order to get your name called? What if the only way, what if if God only called the names of the most gifted, the most qualified, the most deserving? What if that's the way salvation worked? Wouldn't that be terrible for you? 
it would be awful for me, okay? It would be awful for you. Thank God it's not that way. That's not how it works. You're not ever going to earn your salvation, not on the front end and not on the back end. That's where I'm weak in my character. I, since I became a Christian, have been trying to prove God right. Can you relate to that? I have been trying to prove him right. He was right to save me, and I'm going to prove him right. In fact, I'm going to earn back the grace that you gave me. That's not how it works. Did you notice what Shamar said? Is that his name? Uh, what was his name again? Was it Shamar? Rajan? Sorry. Hold on. You're right. Yeah, did you notice what he said? Watch this again, just real quick. Listen carefully to what he says when he gets his name called. Thank you, God. I'm ready to go to work. He says, thank you, coach. I'm ready to go to work. Let's go. Now, that's beautiful on one level, right? That's beautiful. I've been, my name has gotten called. I'm chosen. I've been chosen by the God most high, the King most high. I'm ready to go to work. That's awesome. But please, please don't think that for the rest of your Christianity, it's your job to earn the grace that Jesus gave you. Don't do it. Don't fall into that trap. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to lose it. Amen? Amen. Just be careful not to spend the rest of your new life in Jesus working off the old debts of your life apart from God. Now, this is good theology, really good theology. Let me give you some verses. Here's Romans 3. It says this, there is no one righteous, not even one, not even Bill Wagerman. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. No one in this room sought after God. That's important to hear and to believe and to understand that. My friend said, I've never felt pursued. You wouldn't know God if you hadn't been pursued, right? There's no one that seeks after God. Verse nine, uh, sorry, this is 1 Peter 2, 9. Peter says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. And then Jesus said it like this in the book of John. He says, you did not choose me, plain and simple. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then John said this. He said, we love God because he first loved us. Everybody say first. first. He first loved us. Don't get the order twisted. Don't get it messed up. You didn't wake up one day and decide to love God. He first loved you. So when we say, come on, today we're gonna say it at the end of the service. When we say, I'm chosen, oh, your name got called. Your name got called. He chose you. He pursued you. You're here today because Jesus Christ gave his life for you and he loves you and he chose you. Somebody say amen. 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 We, we did this at Easter. I asked the question, what's the hardest part of the Christian belief system to believe? And you guys gave a bunch of great answers, but I didn't give you mine. I thought I would give you mine today. The hardest part for me, as a follower of Jesus, the hardest part for me to understand, for me to defend, for me to make sense of, is the Amazonian. Do you know the Amazonian? Not this guy. Not, that, not this guy. And not this lady either, okay? God's got her figured out. The Amazonian, right? The Amazonian, the person who's in the Amazon jungle, who doesn't speak English and has no access to the Bible. How do they get into heaven with us? 
How do we get to worship with them one day? It says one day every nation, every tribe and tongue will gather around the throne and worship God, right? How does it happen? And so for me, when I look at Romans 1, which is the Christian answer to this question, the answer is, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Look at this in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that, we have, been, the things that have been made and so they, were, they are without excuse. And that's really hard for me. Like when I read that, I go, ooh, that's pretty harsh, Paul. But the idea there is that, you know, my Amazonian friend, my brother, he's out in the jungle and he's looking up at all of this incredible creation and something inside of him in his own language says there must be a God who created all of this. God, who are you? Who is God? Who is this God that created all of this? And that's the Holy Spirit pursuing him. I read this book uh, years back called Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus. Anybody ever read this book? It's a great book. It's by this guy named Nabil Qureshi. I'm gonna read a bunch here. Read with me on the screen. Um, Nabil Qureshi was a convert from Islam to Christianity during his college years in the USA. His journey involved an intellectual quest debating with a Christian friend, David Wood. Torn by the evidence for Christianity and against Islam, Nabil prayed to God for a sign. And this is what he says in his book. He says, I was at the foot of a hotel bed and I prayed, God, I don't know. My eternal life is on the line. I ask you to tell me what the truth is. Provide me with a vision. Provide me with a dream, anything. He says, that night, as soon as I prayed that, everything went dark. And there before my eyes were hundreds, maybe thousands of crosses. Not a typical symbol in the Islam faith, right? As soon as they had come, they had gone. I knew what had happened. I had received a vision. That same night, I had a dream. It was me standing at the threshold of a narrow doorway just outside it. On the other side of the door was my friend David sitting at a table. And within that room were hundreds of people all sitting at tables with food laid out before them but they hadn't started eating yet. They were waiting as if for a speaker to come and shut the door and start speaking. And I looked at David and said to him, I thought we were gonna eat together. And without turning back, he said to me, you never responded. I woke up and immediately knew what the dream meant. That room was the kingdom of God and I was standing right outside the door. God gave me a dream that was so clear, I did not have to interpret it. A few hours later, I called David and he said, that's right out of the Bible. Go to Luke 13. I went to Luke 13, verses 23 through 29. It's the people asking Christ, will many people be able to enter heaven? He says, many will try to enter, but few will be able. Make every attempt to enter through the narrow door and people will be standing at the door and knocking. That's exactly what happened in my dream. The door had not been closed yet. The opportunity to come into that feast was still there. I just had to respond. At that point, I knew what I had to do. I realized that Islam was probably not the truth and that God was pulling me, kicking and screaming towards the truth. Stories like that blow me away. I don't know about you, but the idea that God could pursue someone without them ever even hearing or knowing the name of Jesus 
that he would pursue them and he would say, you're with me, I'm chosen. Let's finish the phrase just to finish the sermon. The next part I think is easier for us to all make sense of. I'm chosen, forgiven, redeemed, and restored. Three words that really kind of mean the same thing. This comes from Romans 8. It says this, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have been chosen. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness at the core of it, at the root of it, and you can feel this in a relationship with someone when you've hurt, when you've hurt someone and you need to be forgiven. Forgiveness is the absence of condemnation, right? You can look in someone's eyes and know that they've forgiven you, right? You know when they haven't too, right? Dana and I will have a fight once in a while. I mean, we don't fight often because we're angels. Um, but <laughs> once in a while we'll have a fight and she'll bring, she'll bring something up from three years ago. And I'll go, wait a minute, I thought you forgave me for that. Yes, but I've remembered it, right? That's not, that's not how God is. God says, I've thrown your sin into the sea of forgetfulness, right? So back in Easter, when I asked you the question, what's the hardest part of the Christian belief system to believe? The top answer, the number one answer was that all my sin is forgiven. That's what you said. You said the hardest thing for me in Christianity is to believe that all my sin is forgiven. So I would ask you today, do you feel forgiven? Do you currently, right now, do you feel forgiven? Because you are forgiven. Come on, there's a difference between being forgiven and feeling forgiven, right? And sometimes, even in a relationship, we'll kind of carry that guilt with us for a couple of weeks after we've done something wrong, and we'll just go over and beyond. Like, I'm gonna do the dishes five times a day. I'm gonna just make up for it, right? And that's because we're getting into this bad habit of what Brian Poppy talked about a couple weeks ago, scorekeeping, right? Come on in relationships. If you're keeping score, you're in trouble, right? If you're like, okay, well, I'm a better husband than she is a wife, or I'm a better wife than he is a husband. Watch out, you're in trouble. You're You're in bad danger land because what you're not doing is living out love. Corinthians tells us that love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I love the way Eugene Peterson says it in uh, the message. He says, it doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. And honestly, that's the gospel. That's what it is. If you really wanna break it down, if you're here today and you're going, man, I came to sort of audit Christianity. I came just to kind of get a peek into the window of what's going on in there. What's happening in this, this whole Christian world thing? What's going on? Let me just give it to you as plain and simple as I can. We talked about earlier that you were born a sinner, right? If you've had kids and you're a parent, you know this to be true because you've seen it in your children. You go, oh, wow, I didn't teach them that. It just came out of them, right? And if you're really honest with yourself in those moments that you don't let anybody else into, that you don't talk about, that nobody really gets to see but you and God, you know in your soul that you are sinful. And you don't have to say amen, I already know it, okay? You were born that way. And God knows it. Biblically, we were born into that nature. And God never intended for us to stay that way. He never intended for there to be a chasm between his holiness and our humanity. He never wanted that. We chose that. And we were born into this choice. And so God spent lots of years laying out for lots of people. Okay, let me show you how wide the chasm is between your humanity and my holiness. That's what the law is. The law is him saying, let me just show you how far 
away from it is. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Let me show you how far away from holy you really are. And then he says, now let me do something about it. So for 42 generations, he works through the bloodline and he prepares a way so that Jesus can be born. The son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who was seated on the throne of heaven came to earth, not with a lightning bolt, not with power, not with a parade. He came on a silent night, right? That's what we celebrate every Christmas. We remember that he came in flesh and bone, weak and fragile and frail. And then he grew up and became the son of God. He was the son of God and he became the savior of mankind, a sinless man who lived 33 years of sinless life. You can't live 33 minutes without sinning, right? Come on, you don't have to say amen. I know I'm right. He lived 33 years, right, sinless life and died our sinner's death for you and for me. And that was his way of pursuing you. If you're here today, whether you were dragged here or whether you came here voluntarily, the Holy Spirit drew you to this place today so that you could hear this truth. Jesus gave his life for you. Somebody say amen. He gave his life for you and he bridged the gap that stood between your humanity and his holiness. He said, I'll make a way where there is no way. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you will accept the gift, the free gift that he offers to you today, then you can say with us later today in this ending, I'm chosen, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, and I'm restored. Before Jesus left, this is the reason why we call it the sending. Before he left, he said, cool. Since you guys know all that, you understand all that, you've accepted all that, I've got a mission for you, okay? Here it is. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is us today. Thank you, Jesus. I'm ready to go to work. Let's go. We hope that today's message truly encouraged you to fight for a real relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to hear from you. Please send an email to tlpod at vanguardchurch.org. We'd love to know how we can pray for you and hear your stories about how this podcast has impacted your life. If you'd like to give financially to our ministry, just text the amount you'd like to give to the number 84321. You can find Vanguard Tri-Lakes on all social media platforms, and we hope that you'll give us a follow. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you beyond imagination. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.